Welcome to a new episode of Policy Implications Podcast, where policy meets research. I'm your host, Olga Zadrozhna from Kosminsky University, where I teach and do research in empirical economics. My guest today is Dr. Raluca Pahontu, who is a political economist working on issues related to risk and insurance, inequality, distributional conflict, and voting behavior. Currently, Raluca is a postdoctoral fellow at the London School of Economics. Today, we will be discussing her recent paper called Mind the Gap, Why Wealthy Voters Support Brexit, which is co-authored with Jane Green. This paper raises a very interesting topic of wealth being an important factor in political decision-making and explains why wealthy people might have been more inclined to vote for Brexit. So welcome, Raluca, and let's get started. But before we dive into the discussion of the paper, please tell us more about your research and how did you become interested in the topics of voting behavior and decision-making in general and in context of Brexit in particular? Hello to the listeners of the podcast and, of course, to you, um, Olha. It's such a pleasure to, to take part. Thank you so much for um, having me. Um, in terms of my um, research interests, I'm... I'm broadly interested, as, 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 as the kind of introduction uh, you have mentioned um, suggested, in understanding individuals' uh, economic and, and political preferences. And I argue that individual experiences may have an impact on, on these preferences and related behavior, uh, which of course may vary from attitudes towards risk or, or vote choice, or indeed support um, for a referendum as, as in the case of Brexit. For a long time, we thought that some of these preferences and behaviors are, are sticky. Uh, and this just means that uh, mainly upbringing, but other individual characteristics as well, um, make it more likely for an individual to display a particular type of behavior. Um, in my work, I take a more rationalist approach and um, argue that individuals are largely motivated by self-interest. And whenever their circumstances changes, uh, economic or otherwise, of course, uh, so does their behavior. Um, whether this is true, of course, matters quite a bit um, because we're interested in what drives public opinion changes. And one challenge in that is identifying whose preferences change. Ultimately, who do we vote for or whether the UK decides to stay in the EU or not has important consequences for the livelihoods of those involved, uh, varying, of course, from things like price of goods or, or free movement opportunities, as, as in the case of uh, Brexit or, or membership in the EU, um, to public goods provision, immigration policy, uh, and, and others in the case of domestic politics. Of course, Brexit in particular is a very interesting case, uh, and that's because it was assumed to fail in favor of the status quo almost up until the end. Uh, in fact, recent experiences with referendums in Europe and elsewhere uh, have vindicated the status quo bias, uh, which means that individuals prefer the current situation to an alternative, more uncertain one. Um, in the case of Brexit, a, a very narrow majority of voters, 51.9% uh, supported uh, leaving from the EU amongst, of course, considerable uncertainty over uh, whether the, the, the country's prospect of leaving the EU with a trade deal was, was realistic or, or, or possible, or indeed whether it was possible to secure uh, trade agreements with other countries. And the fact that the outcome of the referendum was uh, supportive, as we know, of a change in the status quo is of great interest to myself and, and my co-author, Jane Green, uh, in part because this was unexpected and in part because so much of the narrative has focused on the left behind. Um, and these are individuals who have lost uh, from globalization or, or the free movement and essentially wanted to curb immigration as, as a response to some of these um, economic challenges. 
Very interesting. So before your paper, what did we know about the distribution of votes in the Brexit referendum? And why do you think people have voted out of the EU? Have you done any maybe cost-benefit analysis? Um, right, indeed. So I think I, I was tapping a bit into that earlier. So um, a large focus has been placed on the study between uh, Brexit and economic insecurity, uh, whether that's in the form of direct um, sort of economic grievances, uh, or of course some sort of indirect effects of the relationship between uh, economic insecurity and immigration concerns. And actually a number of empirical patterns have um, emerged, uh, both at the individual level as, as well as at a more aggregate level, uh, with respect to what correlates to, to Brexit support. And in particular, there's evidence, for example, that areas with declining manufacturing jobs or, or higher inequality uh, were more likely to support leave. Um, more specifically, support for leave was traced to places that experienced the, the economic um, and social consequences of globalization, import trucks, uh, or even austerity measures. Um, but focusing on income um, can only tell part of the story. So oftentimes uh, in research, we use income to proxy wealth uh, or financial well-being more broadly in the expectation that the two things are correlated. Um, in a snapshot, that is, of course may be true, uh, but over several time periods, changes in income may not be reflected in wealth um, levels and, and vice versa. Um, so if high incomes provide a buffer um, against uh, misfortune, it does so through the accumulation of wealth uh, made possible by savings and asset holding. Um, because otherwise, income is so transitory uh, that it may not offer the same type of economic security uh, as wealth would. And this is essentially um, because individuals experiencing a drop in, in income absent wealth uh, cannot smooth um, consumption. So the way we think about it is that wealth provides a permanent stock of financial means to buffer against um, risk. And, and as I was just explaining now, the same cannot be said of a person's income uh, if, if that person does not have wealth. So to understand that, think of how um, different experiences two individuals may have. Uh, suppose both recently unemployed, uh, but one of them having a source of wealth to fall back on and the other one not. Asset ownership, for example, is associated strongly with the ability to borrow and borrowing ability therefore provides additional economic security against short-term income losses. Therefore, the individual that I mentioned able to privately insure uh, herself against a bad outcome is in a better, different, uh, if you will, uh, position than her non-wealthy um, counterpart. In terms of costs and benefits um, that you asked, uh, the literature mostly focuses, I think, on the benefits for, for leavers and sort of assumed um, that there weren't costs or that the benefits somehow outweighed the costs. And it was, of course, generally assumed that the project fear um, didn't really work. So there wasn't as much focus on, on the impact of, of risk or uh, on, on, on why um, actually so many Euroskeptics supported Remain. And this is, of course, something we look at um, in, in our paper. And we believe that the results we have, uh, and in particular, the, the insurance mechanism we propose, uh, may, may help explain um, a bit this, this, this pattern. So just to preview a bit that, um, we, we might um, think that project um, fear uh, worked in determining some people, especially those lacking insurance, to vote against the status quo, despite their preferences uh, to do otherwise. 
So it's very interesting that you look at wealth as an economic insurance against political risks. And so what data did you use in your study and how exactly did you define your wealth variable? So um, we're, we're interested in obviously two, two important um, things, one of them being uh, wealth and, and the other one of course uh, being the leave vote. And it's typically very difficult to find uh, measures of, of both uh, in the same uh, place because national election surveys uh, that, that typically include political preferences uh, rarely uh, include individual wealth measures. And on the other hand, uh, federal banking data sets uh, you know, that, that include um, quite, quite a range of measures of, of wealth, uh, rarely include uh, measures of, of political preferences. Um, so in our case, uh, we, we managed to find this, this, this rare opportunity to, to, to use uh, two, uh, two data sets, uh, one uh, from, from the British election study uh, and the other one from the Bank of England's uh, panel um, survey of income and expenditure uh, that contain both of these key uh, variables that I mentioned. So in terms of um, support for leave, um, we distinguish, of course, between uh, respondents' intention and, and support for Brexit. Um, and in the, in the former data set that I mentioned, the British election study, uh, voters are asked to imagine um, they had to vote in a referendum and how, how um, and basically state their vote intention. Uh, whereas in the Bank of England um, data, respondents were asked about their support uh, for the uh, current situation, which was, of course, the fact that UK uh, voted to leave the EU. Um, and this was important uh, to, to basically uh, make sure that vote intention was not related to the respondents' assessment of the possibility of a, of a second referendum. Um, with respect to the other variable, the, the wealth variable, um, we distinguish um, between financial and, and, and property wealth in our paper. Um, so liquid wealth, which is a former, is, is just readily um, available savings, of course, net of, net of debts. And this may compensate for, for short-term income losses, uh, smoothing, of course, consumption in, in the short term, as, as I was saying earlier. Um, but of course, unlike expectation from, from consumption and saving smoothing over the life cycle, uh, in practice, what we see is that very few people actually accumulate substantial savings. And this is especially true in, in the UK, um, case where we look at where uh, property wealth is actually substantially higher than, than financial wealth. So for example, um, just to give you a sense uh, of, of the data, data from a few years ago shows that the mean UK property wealth uh, was around 85,000 pounds in contrast to only about 28,000 uh, pounds in savings. And, and this is quite, um, quite a sticky characteristic of the UK system, um, partly because um, of some government-induced incentives to take up home ownership in, in the 80s, and, and, and of course, the subsequent um, appreciation of, of home prices um, as well. So once you had your data, and uh, indeed, great that, that you were able to find those measures. Um, so what was your main estimation strategy then? And what were your main findings? Right, so um, the starting point I think is to say that the literature on determinants of, of, of Brexit uh, uses uh, cross-sectional comparison. So what, what this just means is that we end up comparing uh, individuals of, of similar age, education, uh, income, etc. But we are unable to account for, for things we do not know about individuals. 
So the worry is that more educated individuals or, or higher earners or wealthier people, for example, have some characteristics that make them systematically different than others. Um, for example, they may work harder or be more motivated or more cosmopolitan. And because of these factors, oftentimes such analysis could be uh, misleading as, as these factors we cannot account for uh, that I just mentioned may, may still drive some of these behaviors we observe. So we're aware of, of, this, um, of these dangers and um, to address that we, we've run three different types of analysis. Uh, but, but possibly one which is more useful allows us to control for uh, unobserved time invariant individual heterogeneity, which, which in very simple words, it just means that we make a very simple comparison, which is we compare the same person over time with herself. Uh, and this is useful since most attributes we don't know about an individual that, of course, don't vary over time uh, are accounted for, right? So think of upbringing or, or xenophobia or even education. Uh, and all these are very important uh, determinants of, of support uh, for Brexit. And um, in terms of, in terms of what, what, what these results suggest, um, we find that property wealth is, is a much bigger determinant of the probability to support leave. Uh, but the financial wealth uh, may, may have had an effect as well. Um, and we also confirmed through a, a hypothetical gamble experiment what, what myself and others have, have previously found, which is that um, wealth affects individuals' willingness to take risks, such that uh, wealthier individuals are more um, risk-taking. And we also see a bit that those with higher wealth uh, thought that they would personally uh, be less affected uh, by, by Brexit than, than those on lower wealth. Uh, which, of course, we interpret as evidence of this insurance mechanism. Um, so I think, I guess, together, the results uh, we think may explain why, why wealthier individuals uh, were more likely to support Brexit. And so your research result basically suggests that political interests of those who are the most vulnerable economically were not met in the case of Brexit vote. So how can policymakers support those voters now? What can they do to support them? Oh, that's, that's a very uh, in interesting question. Um, and I guess it's going to depend a little bit on, on how things um, plan out. Um, but for example, one thing that the research suggests is that less, less wealthy or generally poorer voters, uh, for example, are less likely to turn up in elections, right? So they're represent less represented politically. Um, and of course, there are several ways that this can be tackled uh, from, a, from a policy perspective, um, such as through campaigns encouraging people to turn out or, or giving people uh, free time from work uh, to go vote on election day. And, and these are just some of the, some of the ways uh, we have to tackle some of these issues. Um, there's also quite a bit of research on the relationship between uh, inequality and, and redistribution preferences, for example. And um, what we show in addition is that poor voters uh, do not just have different political preferences, which is what um, this, this literature um, tends to suggest, uh, but of course, they also lack the insurance to be able to act on some of those preferences, right? So, so think back of the um, Eurosceptics voting remain example that, that um, sort of were, were puzzling um, us. So um, economic inequalities um, may create inequalities in, in experience, right, in preferences, and of course in, in risk-taking as well, as I explained a second ago. Um, and of course, Brexit needs to deliver to these people who, who wanted uh, to vote for it, but, but weren't financially prepared. 
Um, in terms of what we can do to tackle this, I mean, again, it, it, there are several ways uh, potentially. Um, so governments tend to help um, people uh, that, that may be affected uh, obviously negatively uh, by shocks by our social insurance programs, right? So you can think here, for example, of, of unemployment benefits. Um, and it's likely that the government would potentially have, have to continue doing that, much like what we've seen, of course, in the response to the, to the pandemic in this country, uh, and, and may just simply have to respond to, to some of these um, potential spillover effects if the economy suffers with Brexit. Yeah, that's indeed a very important issue, especially nowadays that we live in the world of pandemics and those uh, uh, the most vulnerable economically, they become more vulnerable health-wise as well. So thank you very much, Raluca, for an interesting discussion. And I do hope that policymakers in the UK, but also in the EU, will uh, take the results of your paper seriously and will make... Um, well-informed policy-making choices. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me.